wrong in this situation. He took a pinch in the back. He got beamed for crying out loud. We used heart attack. Please. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over with the Germans Bob Pearl Harbor? The castration of the major league baseball managers. We know it. Ask me about my win. Thinking about the NBA draft day, Kobe Bryant was traded on draft day for Vlade Divac, so one of the most infamous steals in NBA history. What really isn't known about that is the general manager of the Hornets at the time, former NBA coach and longtime NBA general manager Bob Bass, actually won the NBA Executive of the Year Award for the season that proceeded the trade of the Kobe Bryant pick for Vlade Divac. And obviously that was a turning point in the Lakers' last dynasty when they won three straight NBA championships, another two straight a couple years later. Obviously Shaq and Kobe, Kobe with Paul Gasol. And we're going to talk a little NBA draft later on. I had a start. My prolegomical point today is about the salary arbitration process in baseball. And uh, I understand why it's there. You know, you got two sides. A team could say, hey, a player is worth X amount of dollars, and a player and their agent can believe that they're worth a little bit more. And if you can't come to an agreement, then, you know, you, you have this little discussion in a court type of setting where the player is going to tell you, the judge, everything that they do well their value to the team and the reason that they should make more money. But the team on the other side is going to be very negative of the player. And this is this is where it gets a little bit tough and it gets a little bit personal. Um, Max Fried and the Atlanta Braves are debating over $250,000. Now, it might seem a lot to the everyday American. You know, $250,000 $250, in my pocket today would would be a bone. I would absolutely agree with that. But when it comes to the salaries of baseball players, for a team such as the Atlanta Braves, the defending World Series champions, to go to an arbitration hearing with their best pitcher, a pitcher that probably isn't that far away from winning a Cy Young and isn't going to shock anybody if and when he wins one or two over the course of his Major League Baseball career, to not be okay with that pitcher making $250,000 more than you view him is a terrible job by the Atlanta Braves and our organization. To go to an arbitration hearing and have to air out all your dirty laundry of everything you don't like about certainly one of the top five or top ten pitchers in baseball right now. And I don't think I'm that crazy by putting Max Fried in that conversation. He is the top pitcher for the Atlanta Braves, their unequivocal number one ace, and is one of the best pitchers in all of baseball. And to quarrel, to go to an arbitration hearing, and to be the Atlanta Braves and try to tell a judge that Max Fried isn't any good is something that is absolutely not constructive to that of the Atlanta Braves. And that was my concern when it came to the New York Yankees and Aaron Judge. And I'm glad they came to an agreement. Um, do I think the Yankees should have just given him the $21 million, especially for the season that he's having this year? It certainly is, is worth more than $21 million. 
and you'll find out during free agency that Aaron Judge is likely worth a lot more than that on the open market. The, the Yankees were very close to going to an arbitration hearing and actually have to tell a judge, and no pun intended, of course, that Aaron Judge is somehow not one of the top you know, five or so offensive position players in Major League Baseball. Are you going to try to tell a judge why Aaron Judge isn't any good? I mean, have you seen what he's done this season? Have you seen what he did his rookie year? Have you seen the value that he has for that New York Yankee franchise? Not just by putting up numbers, but he is the unequivocal team leader there. The Yankees aren't what they are without Aaron Judge. They lose him, let's say, to an injury. The overall production of their team offensively is going to suffer. They have some other good players, absolutely. And we're not going to break down the New York Yankees right now because you know we've had plenty of time to do that. The, you know, Aaron Judge's value to the New York Yankees is a lot more of that than just the statistics, just him being on the field, just him winning games with that powerful bat, obviously being able to play some center field in a time where the center field position for the Yankees is a little bit murky. They got Aaron Hicks signed there, but Hicks in, in between injuries and inconsistent play is not really giving you what you expect from a player that's going to play every day, but Aaron Judge is probably the closest thing the New York Yankees have had to a consummate Yankee since Derek Jeter. And you wonder from the Yankees' perspective, whether it's coming straight from Hal Steinbrenner or it's coming from general manager Brian Cashman or maybe a combination of both, is the Yankee brand maybe at a point where it's going to destroy their franchise. There's a lot of emphasis on play baseball like a Yankee and what it means to be a Yankee. And I'm not understating that in, in any way. I get it. Uh, I think they're a well-run organization. They've been a well-run organization for... Uh, probably the better part of the last 100 years. And there's something about him that's different from other Major League Baseball teams. And you could put any Yankee fan up on this, this podcast with me, and you can vouch for all the reasons why being a Yankee is different than being uh, a player for any other team in Major League Baseball. You inherit the history. You inherit the, the, the way. And the Yankee way is not to struggle for five to seven years and hope to get a couple good draft picks and maybe progressively get better. The Yankees have always been about winning since the days of Ruth and eventually Gehrig and DiMaggio and Berra and Whitey Ford and Mantle and later on Reggie Jackson, Don Mattingly, obviously Jeter, Mariano, Bernie Williams, and I throw Bernie Williams in there all the time. Make sure that I name him before I name Andy Pettit and Jorge Posada because that whole core four thing with the Yankees, we could have a whole independent discussion about it. And I don't want to get too far off topic here, but you can't say core four of the late 90s, early 2000 Yankees and not include Bernie Williams. Bernie Williams was one of the most integral parts of the New York Yankees franchise during that time. Plus, he came when the Yankees were nothing. In fact, you can make a case that Bernie Williams and Paul O'Neill are more valuable to the Yankees of that time than both Pettit and Posada. But I digress. I back to the point where we're talking about the, the Yankees. And my fear as a baseball franchise that they may be willing to let Aaron Judge walk after this season. 
Now, a lot of times you can talk about whether it's a Jeter, whether it's a Bernie Williams, and the hard line that the New York Yankees have always negotiated with. Some of it comes with that extra advantage that the Yankees as an organization have with the Yankee brand. What it is to be a Yankee. You want to be a Yankee instead of being somewhere else. I go back to Alex Rodriguez's subsequent release from the New York Yankees organization. And I, I, I haven't brought this up on the show before because uh, I, it just hasn't come up. But... I think about that, and I think that was something that was very much controlled, not only by the Yankees, but by Major League Baseball. And you heard me talk before about Albert Pujols and my hope that he could get himself to 700 home runs and what that means for me as a baseball historian. It may not mean much for you as a fan, but I, I see the value in probably not seeing another player get to 700 home runs or to see a player get to 700 home runs and have to wait a long time before we get to see that. I'd like to see Albert Pujols get there. What is he at? 683? If he, if he gets close enough to want to come back for another season, I thought Alex Rodriguez should have had 700 home runs. And the Yankees' decision to first not play him and then eventually have, all right, this is going to be his last game, and then he's going to be released. No team picks him up. There's a lot of shadiness that I see in that. And you know, some of it's Jane Forbes Clark, some of it's Bud Selig. You're talking about two people that have a very strong hold on Major League Baseball and I think do want to control their history. They're part of the reason why you got players that have been implicated when it comes to steroids that may never get into the Baseball Hall of Fame. And once again, I don't want to get too far off topic here, but the Yankee brand could get in its way when it comes to Aaron Judge. A lot of times, talking about the players I mentioned before, Jeter and Bernie Williams, when their contracts came up or the discussion was out there and Brian Cashman said, you know, would you guys dare, would you individually dare to leave the Yankees organization? Uh, you had on your side, yes, the Yankee brand that goes up to a certain point, but the fact that in a lot of cases the Yankees are competing against themselves. Derek Jeter on the open market when it came to free agency, um, is going to get attention. You may find a, a team that will say, hey, intangibles are going to be worth more and give you a bigger contract. But once again, you're talking about a time where the Yankees and their willingness to spend when it came to the other teams in baseball was so much more. And the fact that Derek Jeter on the open market could get somebody that'll say, hey, we'll give you we'll give you what you want to come here. But was it going to be leaps and bounds more than what the Yankees were going to give? And that's what Brian Cashman and Hal Steinbrenner had on their side when they were negotiating. When you're negotiating with Aaron Judge here, you're talking about, I said, one of the top five offensive position players in baseball hitting an open market at a time where it's not just the Yankees competing against, them, against themselves. Steve Cohen in the Mets may say, hey, just give them the money. There's other teams out there, the Cubs, that are looking to make a splash in free agency. So the Yankees, when it comes to the terms of their next agreement, when it comes to Aaron Judge, would be very, it would be very beneficial for them to negotiate an extension within season. And I don't know if Judge is up for it. He, he may have said that he'll, he'll, he'll listen. He may say, hey, I'm not going to 
discuss anything until after the year. Yankees had an opportunity coming up to this hearing to give Judge a long-term extension and just uh, ensure that he's going to remain in pinstripes over the duration of the next series of years. Um, another element that I talk about when it comes to the Yankees is when they've needed to bring in a player or needed to keep a player, history has said that they do that. The Yankees, for a series of years, tried to get by with uh, younger pitchers that they were acquiring within trades and lacked that ace to get them over the hump when it came to getting to the World Series and made sure that they got themselves Garrett Cole. In the past, they got themselves Masahiro Tanaka. And if you go back really any any bit further than that, you know the Yankees were just known as the team that was going to get every big free agent that they wanted. But in the modern-day Yankees, where I think they've been a little more fiscally responsible, they've made sure, still, at the time when they needed to add or retain a certain player, that they've gone out there and done it. And I think they're going to do that with Aaron Judge. I, I would just be worried. Number one, I would have been worried if they had to go to an arbitration hearing. Because you say, hey, things that are said there aren't taken personally. They are. You know, For the Yankees to go out there and try to say in any way that Aaron Judge isn't worth $21 million a season um, would be heresy, by the way. I mean, it would be absolutely ludicrous for them to say that. But also, it would be a shot at Aaron Judge who's sitting here like, dude, I'm carrying the team this year. Where are the Yankees going to be without me? Where have the Yankees been over the course of my five-year Major League Baseball career? Where would it have been if, if I wasn't out there on the field? The Yankees say, hey, he's you know had a couple injuries. He's injury prone. All it's going to do is just stir up some dirty laundry in a way that's going to um, impact, maybe not sever, but impact the relationship between the team and the player. So the Yankees have this on their side. Step number one to retaining Aaron Judge was to make sure under no circumstances did you go to an arbitration hearing, which, like I said, would have only turned out bad. The player probably would have won, but that doesn't mean that there isn't going to be some animosity that exists between team and player. And I'll tell you this, if you're looking to negotiate a deal with Aaron Judge sometime before the season is over, sometime before you hit free agency, well, you know, when you have the discussions and the things that go on during an arbitration hearing, uh, you can pretty much cross that out. So at least the Yankees have a chance. Number two is going to be to try to work something out before his day when he hits free agency. Because if the open market, he's going to want to listen. And listen, you're talking about a weird situation near this year with the lockout and arbitration hearings going on somewhere in you know in June, only a couple months away from the end of the season. So you know, saying hey, one more year of Aaron Judge. All right, well you're talking about maybe a couple more months of Aaron Judge. And the Yankees can compare past contracts, um, the first day rod deal, which was originally with the Rangers. Ended up, uh, he ended up opting out. He gets the second deal with the Yankees. Last couple of years didn't work out too well. Part of it was a PED suspension. And then you talk about the last year or two that obviously didn't work out. Robinson Cano, there was the discussion about hey, the Yankees should bring him back. They shouldn't bring him back for 10 years. Would you admit that the Robinson Cano contract over the course of 10 years has not worked out? Ten-year contracts in Major League Baseball history traditionally hit a point where they don't work out. 
my explanation when it comes to Major League Baseball contracts and the reason that I say give them out is the back end of these deals, which in a lot of cases don't look so good, are kind of rewards for what the player has done, especially during the years where they're you know pre-arb, where they're making hundreds of thousands of dollars instead of millions and millions of dollars. And I think the way the collective bargaining agreement is set up, that these big contracts go out there to the elite players. Number one, you have to be on a certain level to receive a contract like that. You know, John Q, uh, you know, rotisserie first baseman that is a one-time all-star and not a big-time player isn't going to get hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. You have to be in a class or a league kind of of your own or your own very small group of peers. So Aaron Judge qualifies for that. And, you know, to... And, and I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe your stance when it comes to money, you look at money in Major League Baseball and you compare it to the money and the finances of yourself. As a person, you may not see millions and millions of dollars in your life. You may not see hundreds of thousands of dollars at a time in your life. And all this might just seem like, man, it's just so much money. And it might bother you to see a player uh, break the record for the most salary earned or the highest average annual value per year when it comes to a contract in baseball. But I think the key is to separate yourself from that. And I've said all along, sports and entertainment, whether it's actors, whether it's performers, it's all centered around a supply and demand curve. You know, there is a demand for top players when it comes to sports. And they have a certain amount of value. Yes, that value has grown considerably over the course of the last 30, 40 years and continues to grow at such a compound rate. But the demand is so much heavier than what the supply is. But when it comes to Aaron Judge, the Yankees have to watch out. You could say, hey, the Yankees being the Yankees will just give them the money. I'm not 100% sure that they're going to do that. And the worst thing that the New York Yankees could do, as I finish this point off, is go into free agency and just assume that the Yankees are going to have the highest offer waiting for Aaron Judge. Especially if it's something that they've identified themselves. If they look at something more in a range of a seven or eight year deal and the average annual value is somewhere between 30 and 35 million, that sounds great. That sounds great for John Q. Public. Aaron Judge is going to be able to make a lot more than that on the open market. And the question is, Aaron Judge's involvement when it comes to the Players Association, he has an obligation to the other players to make sure that he doesn't get a sweetheart deal with the Yankees and leave millions and millions of dollars on the table for the players that come after. Max Scherzer said it. There's very few players in baseball that don't believe that. Is Aaron Judge going to leave the Yankees for a million dollars? No. If it's a, a an incremental, uh, a very small amount of money, I don't think he's going to leave. But if there's a team like the Mets or the Cubs, or you know, I wouldn't rule the Dodgers out, but I don't see where the need could be. Where do you put Aaron Judge in, in the outfield when you already got Mookie Betts? I'm sure you could fit him in there. You just signed Freddie Freeman. You know, Freddie Freeman is interesting too when you talk about the free agency, the Braves' decision to cut him off and say, hey, we're not going to go any further. They made the trade for Matt Olson. Freddie Freeman 
maybe still wants to be with the Braves. Um, understands he's going to be a Dodger now, and this is this is the decision he made. Could Aaron Judge be in the same spot a year from now? Could he be talking about Aaron Judge's return to Yankee Stadium, where for the most part there'll probably be a lot of cheers, and unless Aaron Judge says something, uh, you know, insulting to the Yankees fans, which he probably won't. He's a consummate professional then the fans, for the most part, are going to be very happy to see him and probably wish he was still there with the Yankees. But I'd say a little buyer beware, of course. A lot of the back ends of these contracts don't turn out well, but if you understand the back end of the contract kind of paying back for what the player should have been making at the beginning, I don't know, I think it's a little more explainable. Now, the Empire State Grays may not ring a bell to a lot of teams out there or people out there when it comes to the world of baseball. They're in an independent league. is a league called the Frontier League. And I was watching a little bit of a preview for a game that they had the other day. Obviously, we're looking at a team that is very bad. Their performance has not been good. They have an ERA as a team that's almost 10. Now, there, there are some different rules when it comes to these independent leagues that they're trying to work out when it comes to, to hey, they're trying different rule changes to see if any of them are interesting enough to think about implementing when it comes to Major League Baseball. But the thing that stands out about the 2022 Empire State Grays is that they are 0-35. and And because of that, I'm going to follow them until they win a game. They That is intriguing enough to me because I have not seen a team with a 0-35 and record in the history of baseball. Now, you may want to out-research me, and I'd say go for it. I mean, I haven't found anything on the line outside of the 21-game losing streak by the Baltimore Orioles, the Phillies who lost 23 games in a row over the course of a season. Um, you can talk about the 1899 Cleveland Spiders, which I, I think are an interesting story by themselves. You've heard me recap that season in the history of the PBS. Um, that was that was different for a couple different reasons. And for those of you that don't know about the Cleveland Spiders, 20 and 134 in the 1899 season. But there were a team that was they were notified they were being contracted along with three other teams. I think it was Washington, I think it was Detroit, and there was uh, one other team. It might have been a Baltimore team out of the National League. Of course, the American League starts just two years later in 1901. The Cleveland Spiders were notified that they were going to be contracted. And financial issues certainly impacted other teams as well as them. And they started shipping players off by the time the second half of the season was done. They didn't have too much talent left on that team. And they went out there and they lost 134 games. They won 20 games for the season. Um, they've had losing streaks of what? 11. And I'm trying to go, go through here to try to recap this. Once again, I'm not a huge... Uh, multitasker, but you're looking at, what, 8 and 27, and they lost 11 games in a row here. Uh, looks like they lost 11 games. They were 12 and 48, and they were 12 and 62, so they lost 
14 games in a row here. Um, looks like they lost another 10 games in a row, 11 games in a row later on in the season. And then they had this ridiculous losing streak that started when they were 19 and 94. And then they didn't win again until they were 20 and 118. So they lost 24 games in a row over a course of the season. So after a 24-game losing streak, they lost another 16. So they lost 40 out of 41 games, 40 of their last 41 games over the course of the 1899 season. And we're talking about professional baseball. This was considered Major League Baseball at the time. Like I said, I've, I come across a lot of people that don't want to talk about baseball history. And they say, oh, the game was so different. They still had the same rules as the other teams that were out there on the field. But the Cleveland Spiders were so decimated, their roster and finances and everything that they were going up against, that they really lost all desire and ended up with a 20 and 134 record, which is the worst in professional baseball or Major League Baseball history. But I'm looking at this Empire State Grays team in the Frontier League. And like I said, I wouldn't be paying a whole lot of attention to them. But 0-35, and 35, you wonder how far and how long this losing streak is going to go. And what is going to change? I mean, I, I, don't know what to, I, don't, I don't know what to really expect. This is a team that is, is subpar when it comes to offense. Will they score enough runs to win in a game? Okay, well, that's an issue probably by itself. But at some point, they need a group of pitchers to go out there and give them nine innings without giving up almost 10 runs. It's hard to lose it's hard to win a game or a series of games when you can't keep your uh, your opponent from scoring 10 runs in a game. So I'm very fascinated by the Empire State Grays and I'm certainly going to be following um, this team as we go forward. At the moment, 0 in 35 and I have not seen a losing streak in baseball history at any level of a team that's lost more games. Maybe in college, certainly in high school. I'm sure there's some teams that you know have gone hundreds of games without winning because their program is, is at such a lesser level than that of the other competitive teams. But in a professional baseball setting, name me a team that's lost 35 games in a row. Now, the NBA draft intrigues me for this reason, the same reason I like any draft when it comes to professional sports. I'm a big fan of parity. Now, I have a fine line because I also enjoy dominance. The Golden State Warriors winning their fourth NBA championship in eight years. I like the fact that Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green and Steve Kerr as the head coach have all kept it together and have all won over the course of the last eight years. I'm a big fan of dominance when it comes to sports, but I also enjoy parity. It's a, kind of a little weird, right? You say uh, you should be really only one or the other. Either you like teams dominating or you like little teams coming out and competing with the big teams. I, I just like to see a spreading of talent throughout the sport. And if there's a team that happens to have some sort of chemistry and be able to win in that type of setting... How great is it to have a dynasty in the midst of a lot of parity? 
I mean, you actually combine the two, uh, and I'm not going to say evils, but the, the two different spectrums. That dynasty of a team and a parity where anybody really has a chance to win, and that team maintains a dynasty in the midst of a lot of strong competition where everybody really has a chance. That, to me, is the dream scenario. And that's what a draft in any sport really gives. And you certainly look at the players that got taken at the top of the draft. Paulo Bancaro, to me, was the top player in the draft overall. And it's ironic because I think the last time that I went out on a limb, out on a limb a couple weeks before a draft and said that a player that was not necessarily 100% projected to go number one in a draft was going to defy the odds and be selected number one overall was Mark Appel in 2015 with the Houston Astros. And obviously the reason I bring that up is Appel, seven years later, is making his major league debut at some point. He was just recalled by the Philadelphia Phillies after a comeback. He gave up for a while. He came back. The Phillies still uh, obviously own his rights after a trade with the Houston Astros. And Mark Appel is going to make it to the major leagues. But at that time, and I'm going to jump into the DeLorean, crank it up to 88 miles an hour, and jump to the year of 2015 where I was following this draft pretty intensely. There was John Gray. There was Chris Bryant. There were certainly a lot of other talented players. And the talk was, hey, who was going to go number one in this draft? And I said, listen, the Astros are going to take the most promising talent when it comes to Mark Appel. And a lot of draft experts were saying, no, he's not going to go number one overall. And sure enough, he did. This year comes the NBA draft. There's a lot of emphasis on Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren, two very comparable players when it comes to Bancaro. To me, Bancaro came into this season when it came to college basketball as um, one of the elite players and one of the players that should have been expected to go towards the top of the draft. And as the season goes on, you look at some of the other players, and obviously, time is going to tell, you know, right? As time goes by to see the players from this draft make their impact in the NBA, you're going to wonder, is Bancaro the elite number one overall player? Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. But I felt he was going to go number one overall, even when experts were telling me it was going to be Jabari Smith. Some people were saying, ah, oh, Chet Holmgren. I'm glad Ben Carroll ended up going number one overall, and I don't get to gloat too often about being right. Hey, I was right in this situation. But, you know, you look at the Detroit Pistons, obviously getting uh, Duran with Ivy, you know, two very centerpiece type of players to go with Cade Cunningham, I think had the best draft, and it's pretty hard to dispute that. But, you know, I look at drafts, especially when it comes to sports that are trying to reward teams for playing bad and maybe making them a little bit better. I hope that the Orlando Magic become a little bit better of a basketball team. You know, I'd like to see the Detroit Pistons with a couple of their first round draft picks and the number one overall pick they had last year. The Rockets with Jabari Smith. You could put them there with with uh, Jalen Green. Teams that are exercising unbelievable levels of futility right now you know, you'd like to see them go out there and perform. And I hope that we see a little more parity in the world of basketball. I think we've made some uh, enormous steps. It wasn't that long ago, just a couple of years ago, it was 
Warriors Cavaliers, right? You know, LeBron James in Cleveland and Kevin Durant was in Golden State. And you were talking about very few teams that the average fan thought had a legitimate chance of winning an NBA championship. Well, you got a lot more teams in the mix this year. There was a lot more discussion when it came to who was going to be the NBA champion. There was a lot of talk about the Bucks and the Phoenix Suns, the two teams that were in the NBA Finals last year. And it was a, that was a different Finals than you'd seen in previous years. But there was a lot of teams that were competing both with them. Obviously, Golden State, the rise of Memphis and John Morant and the, the depth of that group that they had over there in Memphis. Um, the Boston Celtics, I thought were the best team in the Eastern Conference. I thought they were getting to the NBA Finals before the playoffs started. But you had the Miami Heat, the Philadelphia 76ers. The bottom line is there's a lot of parity in the NBA already. And here's two, as I you know, cheers out there to the NBA draft, the hope that some of the teams that have struggled over the last series of years can make a run this year. I like what we saw out of Cleveland. You know, you watched the Atlanta Hawks a couple of years ago and a run they made to the Eastern Conference Finals two years ago. They had a down season last year. You, know, you wonder what they're going to be able to do. You wonder how the Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving situation is going to go with the Brooklyn Nets. And the Knicks, hey, they're going to get Jalen Brunson. It looks like they basically sacrificed their draft so they could get out of the contract of Kemba Walker. We'll see how that all ends up turning out. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Alwish's Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Looks like we're going to do a show Monday as we talk about everything going on in the world of sports. You can tweet at me at John underscore Pielli. You can follow the podcast, if not, on the YouTube videos, on Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Music. God bless you. And as always, I see you. On the other side. Chris Bryant was on the Chicago Cubs roster opening day. I have many leather-bound books. My apartment smells of rich mahogany. Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the freaking World Series? I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on it in my life. Now they come out as the biggest Major League Baseball manager apologist. It'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Because hitters are going out there saying, I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out. And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park, I'm not even supposed to be here today. Especially prospect whores and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this. There are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Connie Mack, who you could say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer. And what side of the spectrum they're on? Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside and hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if you were a fan of the team that was batting and a ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely 100%, unequivocally, that pitcher was throwing at They put their tail between their legs, decided they're going to do exactly what they're told. You damn well right better give him a contract extension. You damn well right better make him the manager over the next series of years. 35 years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion.